This is a unique podcast exploring the criminal justice system and those involved and affected. We'll educate and expose the public as well as potential jurors to what takes place behind the scenes of those who are facing the system. Your host owns a litigation support firm called Justice Technology Professionals, and he works on criminal and civil cases offering support to defendants and counsel. What you're about to hear is an open dialogue opening the minds to the public to what takes place in reality as opposed to what you think takes place ladies and gentlemen welcome to the justice tech pros podcast here's your host dominic crea greetings listeners hope everybody's doing all right uh, I wanted to get another podcast out there. When I first started, I actually used to try to do once a week, and then things got a little crazy, so they were a little more sporadic. But lately, I've been uh, trying to go back to the once a week type deal. So we'll see how that goes. It's all based on what comes to light that I want to talk about, and and uh, a lot of what's going on, on on YouTube has built a good basis for me to focus on, whereas I could kind of extract teachable moments just to elaborate on and give the listeners something to think about. So I've been using that here and there, and it'll it'll play a little bit into today as well, but I have a few various things that I wanted to touch on that I feel could be beneficial and perhaps interesting for those listening. One notation I wanted to bring up I have, um, what I, what I do is I'll assign different team members, uh, that are part of my organization to focus on different tasks. Sometimes there's minimal tasks that I don't really want to waste my time on, but they're valuable for me just to almost track certain things and understand developments and understanding impact. And what I found interesting was I had somebody go back for a while now for, for, I think they've been working on it for a few weeks. But anyway, yesterday I saw the results of that. So I wanted to share it. I had somebody go back to the different informant uh, podcasts and really go through different comments. Because what I always find interesting is I like to see the different commenters. I like to look at a snapshot of those that are commenting on informant podcasts and then if they carry over to different podcasts just to see if they're open-minded or if they're a fanboy or a fangirl or if there's somebody who's legitimately just listening and trying to understand who's telling the truth or listening for stories and whatnot. It's just a side thing that I like to keep track of. I'm a big statistic guy, so I like to see, uh, I like to see statistics and information and facts. So it's just something that came to mind that I wanted somebody to get from me. I wanted to kind of track to see if the podcasts of late had any impact on the viewership, let's just say, for some of the informants. Now, I'm not saying it's it's diminished or it's less. I'm not getting into that. I don't really care what their numbers are. What I like to see is just the different people who may have been a regular and then they kind of uh, started listening to other podcasts. And what I find that's interesting to keep it general, there was a lot of uh, viewers that before this whole podcast pushback started, you know, with MRE, with different channels, uh, even with, with my channel, some people weren't aware of it, and now I notice they're listening to what I'm putting out. 
but don't kid yourself that it's not making a difference because I have um, several pages where my team was sharing with me at the beginning, there was a lot of viewers and a lot of commenters on different informant podcasts, which are now commenting more so on my channel or another channel that's giving a different point of view or in a, cha- a channel that's going after the informants, things like that. So there is somewhat of a awakening, so to speak. And I call it that, and I'm not trying to be dramatic about it like it's this big awakening. I'm, j- I'm just using the term, so... People don't get excited that I'm acting like it's this big, powerful movement. And <laughs> I just mean that some people are uh, perhaps being enlightened and seeing that the, the wool was being pu- pulled over their eyes in certain aspects. And they're kind of switching to what they adhere to. And they're being more active with content such as myself and com- content which is questioning what informants are stating. So that's a good thing. So for those who think that it's not making a difference, you're dead wrong. It is. And I could actually cite it with, I I would never put users' names out there. I don't do that to people. I'm not going to say, oh, they listened here. This is only from me internally, from my own own records, and just honestly from my own knowledge base, just something I wanted to be aware of. But I did find it interesting, and I also found it uh, optimistic. You know, it's, it's something that, at least that tells me there are viewers out there who aren't going by being a diehard fan of somebody one way or the other. Because that's not really something that I personally target. It's not about having a diehard fan. I like to build a base based on people understanding the mindset, understanding the content, understanding the facts from the fiction. That's a solid core. You know, that's a good group of, of like-minded individuals who are open-minded. And to see that that is taking place and you get those that at the beginning, I guess, uh, they, they just weren't aware of certain things. And it, and it makes me go back to the ideology I was sharing, whereas you need to hear another side of things. And sometimes when another side is presented, that allows from the viewer or the listener to digest the information and then make a more intelligent alignment decision that will allow them to align with what they now believe to be true or what they now feel makes more sense. And that is taking place. And you could do it for yourself. You could see, you just go to earlier podcasts prior to a lot of these newer ones that came out, prior to episodes I've done and you see where now members are, I don't want to say switching sides because it's not really a matter of sides. Everybody's going to do what they want, but it is a matter of interacting more with what they may find relatable. So when you see them kind of interacting more with things that are going against this false narrative being pushed out and these lies being pushed out, that's a good feeling because it shows that it means something and people are taking notice. Not everybody's going to stand there silent uh, and just ignore blatant lies, blatant tales, and just chalk it up to truths when they're being faced with facts to contradict that. So it definitely is a a good position to be in when you start to see lies, tales, 
deceit being questioned. That tells me that people are taking a step back. They're trying to understand all sides that are available. Obviously, there's a lot of sides that aren't available. But they're trying to understand all sides that currently do have a platform. And they're weighing the different sides. So to see them falling off of one particular genre of podcasting, let's say the informant genre of podcast, podcasting, and they're starting to focus on those putting out oppositional content, such as myself and the other podcasts I always bring up, that at least tells me people are thinking. Whether they wind up finalizing their beliefs and they go back to the informants or they um, stay with me or they stay with the other channels, that just shows that they're starting to think. They're starting to look at these things from an analytical standpoint. They're starting to absorb the material and they're starting to perhaps see holes. And that's that's important. So for those that minimize it, minimalize it, those that try to make it all, it's just rhetoric and... It's not true. That's not what the numbers are saying, and that's not with what the audience is saying. And I could tell by a lot of comments. And I gotta say, I thank every one of the comments I receive, good or bad. At least that tells me somebody's listening. They may not like what I have to say for the negative ones, but they're uh, they're commenting, they're interacting, and dialogue and debate's always a good thing. It's always a good thing, whether it's on your side or against. It's good to have a debate and air things out. So, and for the positive comments, I can't thank you enough. I'm not going to lie if I say it doesn't aid in my motivation to continue to do this because, as I said, I wasn't sure how long I was going to keep doing this. To be honest, uh, sometimes it gets in the way of, of, of real tasks that I have, and I'm not, I'm not diminishing this at all. Don't misunderstand me. I just mean uh, logistically-wise and scheduling-wise, sometimes... It gets a little rough where you got to fit them in and you want to focus your attention on different areas. I have a few businesses that I'm involved in, uh, you know, that I, that I handle. I spoke about it in the past, but, you know, time gets tough when you try to manage everything. So what keeps me going, what helps anyway, is when I do see that people are benefiting from the material and, and people appreciate the material. So I thank you for that. That's all I wanted to say on that. I really appreciate that. I appreciate the emails. Been getting a lot of emails, uh, a lot of comments. So thank you. Thank you for engaging. The dialogue's good for the, for people reading the comments. And the more things are spoken about and dissected, the more it helps the general public just to understand the big picture of things. Because obviously this little segment, what I do, what is going on in the informant podcast world, what's going on in the world of those who push back, that's a small, tiny segment of the grand scheme of things with YouTube and with media. It's just a tiny little piece. But it's like anything else, right? When you're building a house, you it's brick by brick, they say. There's an old saying I always liked, how do you eat a whale one bite at a time? And that's how you have to look at it. Everything's just one, one, one portion at a time, one move at a time, like in chess. I'm a big chess guy. I always like chess. been playing since I'm a kid. And it's about that one move at a time, which is you're setting up future moves. And that's what all of this kind of builds together. It's it's helping in the grand scheme of things and setting up future moves. So I wanted to address that. I found it interesting as far as the commenters. I found it interesting where you see a change, where you see a shift. 
I find things like that uh, fascinating, and I like to understand why it happened. And for this, I'm, I'm in the trenches, so to speak, so it's good to see when you see a change and you see a shift and you understand why that shift is happening, and it's something to reflect on. So it was just a side project I wanted to share with the audience that I thought you would find you would find uh, intriguing as well. And as I said, you could you could pretty much do it yourself. It does take time. My uh, <laughs> my staff member wasn't too happy with that project. I think they found it kind of boring. But what are you gonna do? Uh, I, I try. I'll try to make it up to them. <laughs> I'll buy them lunch or something. But uh, I'll try to make it up to them. Um. What else did I want to talk about today? Oh, yes. One um, item that I should have actually brought up last episode because it was kind of on the topic and I forgot about. There's one major theme when you go and you pull the minutes from when these informants, after they're done making their deals, they then have to go in front of a judge and usually they'll plea as part of their deal. They'll make a plea based on what they all agreed upon based on prior crimes they may have committed. They'll make a plea, they'll go in front of a judge, and the judge will then sentence them. And as we know, nine out of ten times, they get slaps on the wrist, and I could cite many slaps on the wrist where people didn't even do a day in jail, and they had some big charges. That's probably an episode for another time. But what's important about those sentencing appearances... If you pull the minutes from every one of those appearances, you're always going to hear the attorney for the informant go on this huge tirade and this compassionate speech, how all these informants are so scared for their lives, they're scared to walk around, they're always looking over their shoulder. Uh, I even remember reading, I believe it was at a recent hearing where an informant was in trouble again for being on social media, and then they apparently got in trouble again over it. And I remember the family of the informant was saying they're worried for his life, and if he goes back in jail, what could happen? That's usually the common theme. Now, the defense team needs to take notice of that, because there's a lot out there that'll prove, once again, that's not accurate. You have to show these informants, and it doesn't have to be an informant directly related to your case, because what you're going to do is just show a general understanding or a general idea that gets to the root of that claim, whereas they're claiming they're so scared for their life, right? So how do you counteract that? You want to almost bring out, and this would happen in the trial of the defendants, you want to bring out what is going on currently in YouTube. You want to bring out the comments made, the podcast done. Some podcasts were put up and taken down quick. But you'll have a lot of these informants goading people, taunting people, basically telling people, I'm in, I'm in this area all the time. What are you going to do about it? And I've seen this play out. I'm not just pulling this from thin air. I have, I have the episodes of it where they'll, they'll taunt people. So how scared can you be? If after it's all said and done, you're on a platform worldwide, people on YouTube could see you, you're boasting about what you drive, you're boasting about where you go, you're posting about road trips, you're smoking cigars and lounges, you're hanging out, which is fine. That Listen, live your life. That ain't the point here. The point here is if you're so scared 
and you're always looking over your shoulder, and you're always so concerned and worried who's coming for you, is that really how you're going to live your life? You're going to be on social media posting, threatening people, or taunting people, I should say. And on top of that, they're mocking people. There was Instagram pages that were put up by informants, by known informants, who are now on public platforms. They put up Instagram pages abusing women, abusing family members of people they testified against. There's a whole tie in there. So you have to use that. Use their own actions, their own words, and their own way of being to counteract their lies. Because they're lying. They're obviously not scared of anything. Which they shouldn't be. They're protected by the government. They have nothing to worry about. They have the United States government backing them up. They could talk as tough as they want. Here's a prime example. They're making Instagram pages. At, at families' expenses, at women's expenses, at children. Doing horrible things that I won't even discuss on these pages to people. Tormenting people. Now's the time to use that. There's been cases that have come across my desk recently, unfortunately. And trust me, all that I talk about would be, let's just say, it's going to be utilized in certain respects for certain people, to help certain people. And they may not be directly tied into the informants that are doing these things, but it has. it's more about the ideology of it all. Look at it this way. You know how they always group, you go to, you hear hearings or this media, these channels, they're always grouping individuals together based on a label. So they'll say, okay, all organized crime people are no good because of A, B, and C. If we believe they're organized crime, they're no good because this person did that. They don't have a scale, apparently. They think everybody's a bad person based on that, right? That's what some people think. They'll think everybody's a bad person. Okay. So now use the same philosophy. So then that means every informant is the same type, right? So now every informant would be taunting people, mocking people, making Instagram pages. You have to use their analogies against them. So if they're going to group everybody together and if they're going to say, well, they must be a member of organized crime, they must be guilty, they're going to try to use that narrative that's constantly played out everywhere on forums, on these... uh, on these channels where they're showing news reels, they're showing documentaries, they're doing all of that narrative. Now you could group all the informants together. So they're going to group anybody who supposedly has an organized crime label together. They'll make general statements about anybody associated with organized crime. Well, now's the time to make general statements about all informants, right? You say, ladies and gentlemen, I understand these informants are going to tell you They're scared for their life. They're doing this because it's the right thing to do, but they're doing it against a great deal of adversity. And they're scared for their family's life. Now you start showing how they talk, how they taunt people, how they make Instagram pages. Put the Instagram pages up on a PowerPoint in the middle of the courtroom. Show the jurors, show a mother and a daughter what they're doing to other mothers and daughters. Put that up on the PowerPoint right on the screen. You're not going to tell me. You're not going to get some reactions out of the jury from that. They're going to be shocked. I guarantee they have no idea. You have to realize these jurors probably think the informants come out, they say their piece, they testify, and then they disappear, do their thing, and live a new life, a a reinvented life. 
<laughs> no, no, no. They're not living a reinvented life. Not at all. They're using their past life to generate revenue for their future life, and they want to hold on to that supposed reputation they once had to add and fuel their paycheck to generate and earn. And on top of that, they're taunting families, they're abusing family members, they're abusing women, they're abusing somebody's daughter, somebody's mother, somebody's wife. And not only are they abusing them verbally, they're taking the time to have people help them make imagery, disgusting imagery to put up on, on public pages. That all has to be shown. You have to show the mindset. They're going to group in, they're going to make groups, and they're going to make assumptions of how people, how someone's character is based on a label. Well, now we're going to make assumptions, and we're going to show the reality of the, of the character and the intentions and the mockery that goes on and the taunting. It's not bad enough that they're putting somebody away. Now they're going to torment their families on top of it. The juror has to see that. It's like I said, it's going through it, listening to it, seeing it. If you're directly connected, it's horrible. Don't misunderstand me. It's terrible. It's ridiculous. You have to deal with that. But use it. Turn that lemon into lemonade. Use it. Show what they're doing. Use it to help others. Use it to set the tone to really expose what their character's all about, to really expose what they are. And when you look at it, all it is is they did not want to go to jail. They're the same person they always were. And actually, in my opinion, they're worse because now they're protected. They're protected on a great scale that nobody's going to mess with. You're not going to mess with the United States of America, the government. You're just not going to. You'd be a moron to. Unfortunately, you have to endure it. But what you can do is use it to help yourself if you're a defendant, if any defendants are listening to this, use it to help yourself. Uh, get it to your defense team to help your defense team and expose what really is going on. And think about that. You play that to a juror, tape after tape of somebody taunting, laughing, telling, daring people, do something to me. What are you going to do? You ain't going to do nothing to me. You're all mutts, abusing people. Think about the power that will have in a courtroom playing an informant's words. And the perfect counter-argument, because of course the prosecution's going to jump up, well, this isn't the informant. The perfect counter-argument is say, okay, but you laid out, at the beginning of their case, they lay out the entire genre of organized crime and what people do and how it goes in organized crime. So my counter-argument would be, yes, ladies and gentlemen, this isn't the exact informant. But the same way these defendants are all being lumped together. And supposedly, if you're part of this organization, you all act a certain way. Well, now I'm showing you how all informants act. I'm showing you what goes on with different informants. That's how you got to try to needle it in there, try to get it in there, where you could utilize it in an opening or in a closing. But it has to come back to haunt them. It has to be used in the proper way where it does the most, it has the greatest impact, does the most damage. And that's how you got to use it. Let them keep talking. Let them keep telling their tales. Let them keep goading people. I mean, they're making these pages, which is degenerate, and there is no way, again, I always go back to it, and I hate to use the same example over and over again, but I know if I myself 
did anything like that, it wouldn't last a day before I'd be having a big problem. You just can't do things like that. You can't threaten somebody's family. You can't mock somebody's family, abuse somebody, torment somebody's family without repercussions, but they can. They're allowed to do it. It's going on. Don't take my word for it. Look around. And I won't even talk about the pages because I won't give them any life. So I'm going to be general. I don't want, I wouldn't even give them out. It's degenerate low life stuff. But the point is, Grab those pages for the defense teams out there, for the defendants out there. Grab those pages. Copy every single post. Screenshot every single post. They could be utilized. They could be utilized in a powerful way. They could show that the speech they give, when they're begging for forgiveness, they're begging for relief when they're going for sentencing, they're, they're praying they don't get any time, and they're out there pouring their heart out about how scared they are, you hit them with this. You you show them that that's not, that it's an act. That fear is not even on their radar. Show the posts, show the brazen words that are being spoken, the arrogance, show it all. Because trust me, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to make a difference. It's going to show those in the jury that what they believe to be true is not. So I really wanted to harp on that a bit because I, I, I think it's very important, especially when cases come out and things are going on. It's very important to have that in your arsenal of defense. It's very important. The other thing, people, it's more of like a technical thing I wanted to touch on. I notice people say you go on Pacer and you could pull the minutes. That's not true. Pacer doesn't have minutes. You can't pull court minutes and transcripts from Pacer. You have to actually order the transcripts from the court reporters involved and you have to pay for them. And the transcripts are very expensive. It's not like Pacer, which isn't that much money. Pacer's like cents uh, for certain pages. It's a matter of cents. Transcripts aren't like that. Transcripts are more expensive. You have to order them from the transcript, the court reporters, you have to order the transcript, you have to put in a request, there's an order form, so it's a little different, unfortunately, the public just can't go on a pacer and pull, and pull court minutes, actual minutes of the proceedings, trial minutes, you can't get that from pacer, you have to get the transcripts, either you have to know somebody who ordered them, so you don't have to pay for them, or the legal team has to order them, but you have to place an order for the transcripts so you could review them and see them. Th those aren't on Pacer. So I just wanted to make that clear because I'm hearing a lot of people say go to Pacer, you could get the minutes. That's not how it works. Pacer has the motions, the filings, sentencing, things like that. Uh, but the actual minutes, the court transcripts, is a separate department. You have to go to the court reporters. And uh, a lot of that's all on the websites for the different districts. If it's an SDNY district, you can navigate and find out where you go to order actual transcripts. So I just wanted to make that clear for those who may need to pull transcripts and they want to read the court minutes of the proceedings. So that's a different, a different outlet that you have to take, a different avenue. And it is a few dollars. It's not cheap. It, it gets pretty expensive when you start when you start going into that and you're ordering. And unfortunately, you need a lot of that. And that's another expense for the defendant. But it adds up because you do need a lot of that. The court minutes could be very helpful when you're fighting a case because you want to see... I'll give you an example. Usually, 
when somebody's arrested or a case happens, everybody's arraigned, right? So you go to the arraignment. You want to get those minutes from the arraignment. You want to see what the prosecution is saying as it relates to the evidence that they supposedly have against the defendants. You want to see the claims they're making. And you want to do the same thing with a bail hearing. You request a bail hearing, you get those minutes. Because at the bail hearing, the prosecution has to get up and they have to argue why they want to keep you in their custody. Why they don't want to release you on bail. So they'll tell the judge oftentimes what they have, what they possess as it relates to evidence. What they have in their possession. Now it's very important you get the minutes for that and I'll tell you why. The job of the defense team, you want to then take what they say they have and you want to corroborate that with the discovery. So if they're saying we have a tape where Mr. Jones says he's going to baseball bat somebody, go through the discovery and find that tape. Make sure it's accurate because I'm going to tell you something. I've experienced it firsthand. Don't be surprised if the claims they made in court do not line up with the reality. So they may claim they have tapes and they have certain things that say serious, serious statements. And they don't. You go through discovery, it doesn't exist. Or they got the wrong person. It's not the right person. Or they change words. And that may not be, that may not be intentional. You know, when you listen to a transcript, sometimes, uh, listen to an audio, I'm sorry, and you're doing a transcript. When you listen to an audio, sometimes the audio feed or the tape or whatever you're listening to, the quality is not that great. So you have to enhance it to get an accurate transcript, and it takes a lot of time. I have software in my firm where we're able to lower the speed of those talking. We're able to take out background noises, raise up certain voices so we could get the best transcript possible because that's very important. They can switch Vital words that change the entire topic of conversation. And I've talked about that on past episodes. So you may want to listen to how they do that. And they change words to make it more menacing than what it is. Uh, So it's important that you verify whatever they're saying. If they're making claims in court to keep a defendant remanded, dive into that discovery as soon as you can to verify the claims they're making are accurate because then you could request another bail hearing in light of that submitting the discrepancy you found and basically say in layman's terms hey you judge judge this doesn't exist now obviously that's not how you submit it we put a little more polish on it and make it a little more sustainable but the bottom line is you're saying judge this doesn't exist what are we going to do about it they said they have this It's nowhere in the discovery, and actually what's in the discovery is X, Y, and Z, so they're remanding my client based on false assumptions that do not exist. So there's a lot that could be done there. That's why it's very important you pull those minutes, and it's a quick process. You get arraigned or you go for bail, you got to reach out to the to the uh, court transcriber and order the, the transcript, and it takes a few days sometimes. And I even know they charge extra if you're the only one who ordered it. So if no other attorney ordered it, that's why it's good if you have a... That's one advantage anyway of a team when you have... If you have several defendants, unfortunately, one advantage they could kind of pull together and split the the cost because everybody benefits from those transcripts. So you could save a little that way. 
So those are, I really wanted to talk about that because the more I see the actions of a lot of these informants and what they're doing online, it totally contradicts that scared and fearful narrative that they're playing out when they're in front of the judge. So you need to show that. That's very important. And remember, it's the cumulative effect of all these things. It's the cumulative effect. Don't just show one informant, show them all. Don't just show one podcast of them taunting, show as many of you as you have. Show the comments, show the captured live sessions. You have to show the reality of the situation and not this false facade that's being put out there. Show the reality, show what takes place after the testimony's done. And believe it or not, I know to a lot of people, they feel these informants doing podcasts is a nightmare. It's like a, they can't believe it. They can't believe the platform. But I'm going to give you another way of looking at it. Go back 10 years ago, before these podcasts existed. Nobody really knew what these informants were all about. They would buy into the fact that they're reformed. They want to start their life over. They want to do good things. They want to help people. And there was nothing to contradict that. So that's the, the same exact tale that would be told from trial and trial and trial. That they're scared. They're scared for their life. They're coming out. They're being brave. Now you have these podcasts. Whereas you never did. Even though some of us knew the truth of it. But what good is that? Doesn't matter what you know, right? It's what you could prove. Doesn't matter what I know. It's what I could prove. So what do you do? Now you have these podcasts. Now you get to see a window into how they truly operate. But if you don't utilize it, all it's going to do is aggravate you, you, cause you pain, cause family pain, cause friends pain. Screw that. Don't get hurt by it. Don't get upset by it. Let them talk. And also remember, take, take it from where the source Take it from the source, I should say. So if you're really being insulted, consider the source. Look who's insulting you. Look at the character of the person insulting you. So is that really an insult? Is that really an insult coming from that type of character? Or that caliber of person? Not really. It's really not. And I know it's easy to say, but trust me, it's not. As many know, I'm, I'm, I'm tied to a lot of these things... Uh, from a family perspective, so don't get me wrong. It, there's times it it's hard to accept that it's a good thing, and you want to lose your mind and get you know get annoyed and and vocalize it. But you have to take a step back. You have to use your brain. Don't use your heart. Use your brain, and realize, okay, how can I use this? How can I use this to benefit those I care about? To benefit clients? To benefit defendants? And I'm giving you a little insight of how you could use it. Now, I can't give away all my tricks yet because I, I, <laughs> I got to help some people. But eventually, I'll, I have no, one thing about me, I have no qualm sharing it. I want as many people to use what they find value in to help others as they can. I don't care about that. I just, the more people helping each other, the more people using a certain systematic process, the more impact it's going to have. So think about what I'm saying. 
Try not to let, if you're affected by it, if you're directly affected by it, try not to let these things get to you. Try to take a step back and use them. And it's important that you have people who could help you grab these things. You know, I cheat a little bit because I make staff members do it. So it, it, it makes it easier for me in the sense that I give them an assigned role. They execute it. I know it's getting done. I have it in my database. Done and done. You know what I mean? For others, it's harder. But again, my my lines of communication are always open. You can always drop me an email. I'm always happy to help defendants, help those. So even if I'm not working on the case, doesn't matter to me. I, I look to help those I can help. That's just the bottom line. The way I see it, we're trying to help people combat the lies. So if they're being lied against or if things are taking place, there's nothing wrong in exposing the truth. And the other thing I think that's important, a little side note that another tool they could use or another theme, I should say, that they could use in addition for the informants for the for the claim that they're scared for their life, I think it's important that you kind of show there really is no price to pay even when they take a plea. A lot of them will take a plea. I, I know years ago when my father took a plea, he wasn't allowed, part of the conditions after he served his time, you have supervised release. And you're not allowed to even talk to another felon or whatnot. And my dad made the mistake, unfortunately. He had lunch with a friend, and he was uh, violated for that. He was violated for that lunch. And he went back, he, he had to go back and serve some more time for, for the violation. That is what it is. That's just how it works. But what you could utilize, a lot of these plea deals that the informants are making, that's part of their plea arrangement. They're not supposed to interact with felons or any convicted criminals. Yet, there's podcast after podcast with them talking to each other and interacting. So I don't get that. I mean, that could be used by the defense team as well. I would show how they don't even have to adhere to the government rules the same way a defendant does. Show how a defendant gets violated. But they have carte blanche. And that's, that's all part of just disproving all the claims they're trying to make that they have to adhere to, they have to abide by. They don't have to abide by any of that. My old man got violated for having lunch. They could do hours and hours of podcasts and, and, and go on shows and go here and go there, which is out in the public eye. There's, no, there's no, nobody taking pictures of that. It's out in the public eye. They're doing it right in everybody's face. Show that to the trial. Show that to the jury, I mean. Show the jury that. That's going to make an impact. Human nature, people don't like the idea of rules applying to one group of people, but not applying to the other. It doesn't matter if you agree with the person or not. It doesn't matter if you don't like the person. You just don't want different sets of rules for different people. And we see that a lot. I mean, think about it in society. I don't even want to get into that. How many times do we see that? Different sets of rules based on different people. So you don't want to see it in the legal system. Everybody should have to adhere to the same set of rules, right? If you tell me I can't see somebody, okay, and if I choose to see him, all right, that's my fault. I messed up. I chose to see somebody. That's it. I got I to gotta deal with it. I got to deal with the consequences. But when you see somebody do the exact same thing and there are no consequences, show that to the jury. And that's what I'm all about. I'm all about just giving the defendant a better case. I don't give a crap about 
oh, they got, they're violating their supervisor. I don't care about that stuff. That's not my character. I'm not, I'm not here to enforce what goes on. That's not just who I am. But what I will do is use that to help others. What I will do is use that to help a defendant where they're being lied against, where informants are lying to put them away. Then I'll use that to help them. I want the jury to see that. That's what I want to have happen. The same set of rules need to apply for everybody. And the jury should be aware of that, how they don't. And the jury needs to be aware of life after testifying. That would be my heading on my PowerPoint presentation. Uh, Although I'm not crazy about PowerPoint. I like to do more of an in-depth video editing. So I would give the attorney a video editing that's a little more professional than PowerPoint. But the heading would be life after testifying. And I would show the reality of it. Podcasts, book deals, traveling the world, putting it out there, Instagram, social media. And hey, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I may not, listen, I may have my own point of view on that because of personal reasons and how I feel about informants. But my point just is they're lying about what it is. They're lying how fearful they are. They're lying that they got to look over their shoulder. That's what you need to focus on. That's what you need. It's not about them being informants and, and they're rats. I always tell you that. My, my opinion on that's irrelevant. I'm not here to, to preach to anybody about my opinion on informants. That's not why I'm here. What I am here to do is show you, at the very least, if they choose to be an informant, they need to be honest. They need to not tell lies. They need to be honest. That's the very least of expectations they should be held to. And the bar set, that is the very least of where they should reach on that bar. The very bottom of the bar should be, they have to be truthful. And if they're not reaching that, you need to discredit everything they're saying. If they're lying after lying after lying, you can't believe it. It's like that entire episode I did, Falsus and Uno, Falsus and Omnibus. Basically, you lie about one thing, nothing else is credible, right? So you have to drive that point home. You have to show what really takes place and it could be beneficial and it could help those out there who need it. And it could help build a stronger, more productive case. On the defense side, obviously, I'm talking about the defense. The uh, prosecutor don't need any help from me. (laughs) They're all very educated, very equipped, uh, very capable individuals. The defense is the one that needs the help. We don't have the endless resources or the endless money. So we have to do what we can to utilize what we have and build the best team with what we have possible and what we could gather. The other thing I wanted to touch on was somebody made a comment actually asking about, uh, they were thinking about going for their paralegal uh, certificate, and I do recommend that. I know a lot of, believe it or not, to be a paralegal, I'm not really a paralegal. I own a litigation support firm. It's a little different. We do a lot a lot more things, and I'm not going to get into like a plug here to tell you what I do. If you want to know what we do, you just go to the website, Justice Tech Pros. But it's more involved than a paralegal. But what I did was, when I was starting out, I did go get my, uh, my uh, certificate in paralegal studies. I think it took me like a year and a half. I don't remember. But it's important because to be a paralegal, 
you don't really need that. You could just go work for a lawyer. He starts uh, training you and you're doing tasks for him and you could call yourself a paralegal. Me, I just wanted to have the, the, the certificate because to be honest, I didn't have the foundation. I come from a different background. I, I started my business when I was 19, uh, started a payroll business, then an insurance brokerage. I got my licenses. So I was involved in that. And then this came to light, but I wanted to educate myself. And I got to say that gives you a good building block. It isn't everything. I'm not going to tell you, you come out of that and you're a whiz. That's not it at all. It just gives you a foundation to start out in the field. And then to be honest, the best, the best development you could have to enhance your skill set is experience and fine-tuning things. You know, learn programs that are going to help you. Learn audio-video programs because, believe it or not, today with e-discovery, a lot of it is electronic-based. And when you have a handle on these audio-video editing softwares, enhancement softwares, they're going to help you be a more productive uh, paralegal, for, you know, if you want to say that. They're going to help you be more productive in, in working on the defense team. So I recommend getting that certificate, getting as many courses as you can under your belt that are related. I would take e-discovery courses, just all about e-discovery. Uh, a lot of, uh, believe it or not, editing software courses on different software that I prefer. Just, they helped me a lot with enhancement of audio quality and in turn then helped a lot with transcriptions. And transcription's a big thing. A lot of these cases, as we know, it's all about uh, wiretaps or a confidential informant wearing a wire. So it's important you have a good handle on that audio. And you want to make sure you get the accurate audio because that could make or break a case, depending on the audio. If there's terms in there that aren't accurate, make sure you get them 100% accurate before you submit your filings. Because the last thing you want to do is get caught out there and the prosecution comes back and says, no, you miss." transcribe this word. This isn't what the defendant said, or this isn't what the person on the audio said. And then it kind of knocks your credibility a little bit when you are submitting something. So you want to make sure you have the software to really get those things 100% accurate. There's a ton of books out there. I like to read uh, different legal books, strategy books. And one thing I do recommend getting, hold on, give me a second, because I forget the name. Okay, it's Weinstein's Evidence Manual. If you are interested, it's expensive. It's a yearly subscription. I'm not going to lie, it's kind of expensive. If maybe you work for somebody or you're part of a legal team, you could get them to buy it. <coughs> but it's a phenomenal manual, and it's always being updated. It's all about the rules of evidence. So look into that, Weinstein's Rules of Evidence. It's on the Lexus website. It's expensive, I'm not going to lie, but it's worth it if you could if you could swing it and you're interested or you're trying to help people, it's worth it to get it. It's a treasure trove of information about evidence, how things work, procedure. It definitely can help. It definitely can help. And I'm going to give you one more one more recommendation for those interested. And whoever's bored by this, I apologize, but give me one second. Another really great reference book is called The Blue Book, A Uniform System of Citation. It'll basically just give you an idea so you kind of burn it into your memory about how to properly cite things. And when you're working on cases, you're going to have to do a lot of citations. And this blue book is like a handy manual. It just helps 
format-wise because it can get confusing how to cite certain things. And even though when you go for your paralegal uh, certificate in paralegal studies, they do teach you this, but you need the handbook because you're not going to remember it. You're not going to remember every single comma and quote. So it's it's a good thing to have by your side if you are working on cases and helping people. Uh, I think I bored you long enough with the with these book topics, <laughs> but I just wanted to get that out there because I did see somebody say they were interested in uh, going after a paralegal uh, studies and they wanted to get involved in that. So that's that's my two cents on that. Uh, I'm a big believer in, in taking classes, taking courses to further your education. I'm going for something now actually at the Northeastern University. I'm trying to finalize a degree I wanted. So I'm a big believer in that. I just like to continue that. It's important. It's not everything. I'm not one of these people. You need to have common sense, people. Honestly, I see, I come across a lot of smart, book smart people that they have zero common sense. And I always tell my kids, give me common sense every day of the week over a a high-priced education. You got to have both. They go hand in hand. So those who have both, you're going to do very well. When you could put them both together to do good and and to work and to climb the corporate ladder and to make your way in the world, if you have both, you teach your kids common sense, you have common sense, you're going to far surpass those who are strictly book smart. And I'm not knocking book smart. I, I don't want to knock. I'm, my personal experience, I'm just saying, when I talk to people that are super intelligent, but yet I notice they can't relate to some commonsensical philosophies and stuff and me I'd just rather have common sense it comes in handy when you're reading people when you're understanding about people so when you have both it's a powerful force to be reckoned with and I like to believe I have a little bit of both and I think that helps me that helped me my whole life reading people understanding situations how to treat people how to interact with people how to predict people and what they're going to do it does give you a good handle on who's predictable and who's not when you're able to see through people. I'll tell you that much. I was able to predict their movements before they even knew they were going to make them, I think. And that's it for today. I talked long enough. I think I got out every point I wanted to make. And again, questions, comments, feel free to email the show at... I set up a separate email just for the show because, again, I have my firm's email. It's podcast at justicetechpros.com. I have one person fielding that, so they'll send it right to me, anything related that if somebody wants to share, wants me to see, or perhaps talk about. And I put up the post about, if you go to the YouTube channel community section, just read the post I put out about putting together future shows with family and contacts and friends of a lot of these informants. I think that's going to be the way to go as far as making a significant impact in this narrative that's being told and a lot of these tall tales, perhaps they'll see a different side. So hopefully that comes to fruition. There's a few things I need to work out internally inside myself and also with those I'm speaking with now where they're comfortable and everybody's comfortable. That's the key to it. I want to just close out thanking a subscriber and a listener Angel Gotti, she has 
really been telling a lot of people about the show. I heard her on some podcasts talking about the show. She's always tweeting about it. And I really thank her for that. I know she's been through a lot. And my heart goes out to her and her family. And I know recently she's been through a lot, unfortunately, with a lot of what I spoke about with this nonsense, with going on with some of these informants. But I, I thank her for that. And again, all I could tell you is just try to take the meat of what I'm trying to put out because things can be done. Things will be done. And exposing what goes on is key to that. So just keep that in your mind. And that'll help make peace with certain things. That a lot of the bad that's being done is going to be turned in good to help people. And again, thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you for sharing everything. And that goes for all of uh, my listeners, subscribers. I had people email me talking about they want to actually promote the show on their own. And I really appreciate all of that. Uh, again, I don't make any money from this. I don't monetize anything. Uh, I spend money on it. I do uh, YouTube ads, so I try to get the word out. Because for me, it's a worthy investment. Not financially. It's not going to bring me anything. But what it is going to do is it's going to help people. It's going to help defend it. And it's going to educate the public. It's going to help jurors. It's going to help people just understand there's another side of things. Help people understand the nuts and bolts. Whether they agree with what I'm saying is irrelevant. But it's always good they get another side of it, another perspective. So I really appreciate all the subscribers, all the listeners, everybody commenting. I didn't expect this at all. I was used to my small circle and people agreeing. We all kind of have the same philosophy on things with a lot of things. So it was a breath of fresh air to see that there's a lot of people out there, a lot of families out there who also have the same belief system, moral compass. So it's a, uh, I got to say, it's a good feeling to get all that. I appreciate it and don't think it goes unnoticed. That's all I got to say on that. I think that's it for today. Until next time. You've been listening to the Justice Tech Pros podcast with Dominic Crea, one of the most unique podcasts on the internet, discussing the obstacles the defense team faces when trying a case, what goes on behind the scenes during pretrial and motion phase, holding defense attorneys accountable, making sure they're fighting for their clients, the difference between textbook law and how things truly play out in a courtroom, and everything in between. And everything in between. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we'll be back soon until then find us on twitter facebook and instagram at justice tech pros to email the show with questions and comments it's podcast at justice tech pros.com till next time this is justice tech pros podcast and dominic crea signing off